so much. I'm glad that uh, Blake was able to introduce us to you. I have been finding out about you via your website, and I am just so pleased to see the amount of things that are going on here. We met the Beanie Baby lady. Her <laughs> daughter. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just great. What I want to talk to you about today is not only about deacons and what deacons are and what they do, but about the kinds of issues that got the diaconate started in the very first place. I don't mean got started in Alabama, which was about 10 years ago. I mean, like, 2,000 years ago, uh, what got Deacon started. And in order to do that, I am going to ask somebody to read to me from the book of Acts. This is the new English Bible, so it's a little bit more modern English. But who'd like to read a couple of chapters, not chapter, a couple of verses <laughs> from, from the book of Acts? And, and Did you do that? I'm going to go if you will. And this is Acts uh, 7. Acts 6? Down, 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 down through 7. Okay, Acts 6. Down through verse 7. The church moves on is the title. During this period, when disciples were growing in number, there was disagreement between those of them who spoke Greek and those who spoke the language of the Jews. The former party complained that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So the twelve called the whole body of disciples together and said, it would be a grave mistake for us to neglect the word of God in order to wait at table. Therefore, friends, look out seven men of good reputation from your number, men full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to deal with these matters. While we devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, this proposal proved acceptable to the whole body. They elected Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicana, Timon, Hominus, and Nicholas of Antioch, a former convert to Judaism. These they presented to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Thank you. Thank you very much. So what was the problem that the church was having during those early days? What? They had more people than they did priests. Had more people than they had priests, okay. <laughs> what was another problem that they were having? <laughs> Well, I guess it was, there was a language barrier. There's a language barrier, yes, and that there were people who felt they were being left out. Mm -hmm. Who felt they were being left out? The Greek. The Greek people felt they were being left out. And how did this come to a head? How did it? Do you remember? Food to the widows. Food to the widows, yeah. Um, the Greek people came and they said, you know, our people are not getting their fair share of what we need. Now, it would have been easy for them to have come to a different decision, but what they decided at that point was to look at the ministry of the church as having two complementary faces. The first was going to be the preaching of the word, which we call the liturgy. The second was going to be the giving out of 
alms to the poor, and we call that what? We actually call it a lot of different names. We call it outreach. outreach. We call it outreach. That yeah. sounds so modern, though. I don't yeah. know if that's the right word. We call it outreach. Some people call it mercy. Some people call it benevolence. But what they did, they didn't say, okay, we're going to have one set of leaders and they're going to do both things. They elected or selected and then confirmed seven, and you notice they're all men. We'll love. That probably is not <laughs> what we would do today, but um, they were not in equal opportunity. So, um, was, the, um, was that, a, I guess, a cultural difference as far as the Greeks, as far as taking care of widows versus... I don't think it was a cultural difference. I think that as the church grew, they understood that they could not fulfill the whole mission of Jesus in terms of his teachings and his healings if they did not diversify. We'd call that, uh, you know, sort of separation of, of functions, or we call it diversification. And so that was the first way that the church began to say, well, we're going to understand that both of these are the mission of the church. It's the mission to preach the gospel, but it's also the mission to care for the poor. And we're going to be sure that we do both. Okay? So that was back 2,000 years ago. Do we still have that problem today? Sure. Maybe in different forms as far as, yeah, conflicts as, as far as the direction the uh -huh. church should go, what the church should do. Right. We do have that, and we have some people who, who, are, who really are drawn to the ministry of the Word and, and drawn by to come to church and don't really take part in other activities. We have other people who are very strongly drawn toward the outreach of the church. So what I want to do now is I want to show you a, a video that the diocese recently did. But I think we all agree we should take care of the widows. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I want to show you a diocese, and that this just will show you. If I can, where am I? Here we go. This is a modern church, and I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. I think it's the same problem. There was a watershed moment when a member of the church no, said, "We need hear? to be doing something not just for ourselves, but for the community." Alabama is an old railroad town halfway between the state capital of Montgomery and Birmingham and it is a town of about 9,000 population. Chilton County has a high poverty level. 20% has food deficiencies. They do not have the resources to have adequate food for an entire month and that is the population we're responding to and what is a beans and rice ministry, it defines who we are in this community now. This is a community that loves to help others. And it's not really to make themselves feel better. It's just a wonderful, warm, and nurturing community. Trinity's Parish has had two lives. In 1954, the Diocese of Alabama purchased building on this site and the church was closed in 1970 and in the early 90s some of us in the diocese were saying you know there's no parish between Birmingham and Montgomery
somebody with a great corporate memory said, but we have this property in Clanton. And some of us came down and looked at it and said, why not? Folks from five or six parishes gave it a good cleanup. And uh, in September of 1994, the second life of the congregation began. We never were able to sustain anything until Bill King decided to come down here on a fairly regular basis and be committed to this place. And his consistency, I think, is a lot of the reason that they've begun to grow and have done so well. We started with the basics, good worship, cleaning up the church so when people walk in, they feel it to be a warm place of prayer and spiritual life. In 2005 came the Beans and Rice Ministry. And it comes from a ministry started 35 years ago in a Presbyterian church in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Once a month, we provide 15, 16, 17 pounds of food. The only advertisement that they do is this wonderful little sandwich board. But they have a regular steady stream of people. And they serve over 50 families just today. There's a goodly number of folks who come who are retirees, but we also have young families, we have Hispanic families. It's a great example of a small <coughs> parish where people come not just to be fed themselves, but then reach out to feed others. It's not the only thing that defines us, but it's a powerful way we're known in this community. So much so that when I was going to get my hair cut at a local barbershop, the person said, oh, you're the priest from the Beans and Rice Church. And I knew at that moment that we had claimed a spot in this community for something other than just being the Episcopal Church. Palm Sunday is one of the opportunities we have to share some of the liturgy with other congregations. The Roman Catholic Parish is just three blocks away. We receive their prayers, they receive ours. Uh, this year we will have a donkey as simply a visual sign of what actually took place 2,000 years ago. It's just like a family, you know, everybody has their different opinions about things, but at the end of the day it's all loving and we're just happy to help each other and that's really what guides the, the community. One of the strengths of our congregation is that everyone knows everyone and everyone counts. You need everyone to participate, and that is what sustains the congregation itself, spiritually. When I got here in 2003, there was no bell in the bell tower, and I said it will cost us about $2,000 to buy a used metal bell and have it installed. Well, there was an older member who said, I will give the money. It so happened that this man is deaf, and on the first day after it was installed, he rang the bell and never could hear it. Today, his hearing has been restored. And he now, for the first time, can hear the bell. When churches are small, they're scared that they're not going to survive. Trinity is a place where I don't think that fear is there. They are thriving because they're reaching out to others. So they're not sort of closed in on themselves. There's a lot of enthusiasm from our 94-year-olds all the way down to our 18-month-olds. They're just full, full of life and curiosity. I think the most rewarding aspect is the understanding 
the lives of individual families have been affected by the presence of our style of church in this community. that Trinity Clanton is just facing the same issues that the early church faced. Do you think there's a connection? Yeah, I think there is. There, there's, um, there's obviously a need in the community. Um, the, interestingly enough, there's, there's still communication issues, you know, communication challenges, now, uh -huh. even more so. Um, and... Um, there are people that, that, that want to do, um, that want to, to, as you say, they want to hear the word, but there are other people that want to um, um, to give, you know, so it kind of seems very similar to me. Yeah, I think, I think so. Does anybody else feel that way? What do, what do you think? Small, I kind of think small and mighty, you know, being able to do something small for the community has a big impact. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to have a giant church to make an impact on the community. So I think sometimes those little things make a big difference. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, maybe is it more of a funding issue as far as, you know, money that we receive as far as missions that we do for the community versus putting it for building a church? Is that... It can All get the there. Yes, <laughs> sometimes it does get there. Yeah, sometimes it does get there. Um, and of course, obviously, I feel like we're called by Jesus to do both. I mean, I think that's what we'll hear in the gospel that uh, is going to be read today. That You know, we're, we're called to do both. We're called to be both. That was part of, I believe, Jesus' perception of what his ministry was all about. It was to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it was also to point out that there are people who get left out and that we as followers of Jesus have some um, responsibility to make sure that, that we bring the kingdom forward in our day. So that's the sort of introduction I'd like to give. Um, but before I do that, I want to say just one quick disclaimer. And that is, I'm not here to sell beans and rice ministry. <laughs> Okay. Um, there are a lot of people who look at this and would think, oh, great, I know a really good source of rice. We could do this tomorrow. Okay. We recently, the deacons, gathered and had a wonderful weekend with our assisting bishop, Santosh Mare. And one of the things that he pointed out is the difference between the mission of the church and the ministry of the church. And to boil it down, I drew a little cartoon of a little centipede who's going along, and I said the ministry to the church are like each little foot on, said so they're propelling this little thing forward, but the mission of the church, the centipede, is going to need to go forward regardless of what feet are pushing it. So I'm not trying to say to you, oh great, here's another ministry for you to do. What I'm trying to say is from your website and everything I see about you, you are responding. You are responding 
in a wonderful way to the mission of the church. And this is another example of how another church is hearing that call to respond in their own context. So, are there any questions about this so far? Didn't think you would get that sermon, did you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, ask me the donkey from Palm Sunday. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 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 I know when there's a zombie, it's half donkey. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I mentioned to you that um, in the very early church it was decided that there would be really two different types of workers in the church. There would be the ones who were primarily in the temple or in the marketplaces mm -hmm. preaching the word and there would also be pe people out in the community doing things. And our church, the Episcopal Church, has followed that example of the early church by having two, or actually we have four orders of ministry. We have bishops and lay people and priests and deacons. And so what I'm going to talk to you now about is about this deacon order, which is only one of the four orders of our church. Um, the deacons actually in Alabama, there were deacons over 100 years ago. They were women who worked with the very poor uh, in hospitals and places like that. But then the diaconate sort of fell in disuse. And 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, our bishop, Bishop Parsley, decided that he would reactivate the diaconate. And he did it by um, asking people who felt this particular call to come together and be formed for a two-year period of time. Um, the first group of us were ordained in 2002. There was another class in 2004. Then we took a break. There was a class ordained in 2011. And we are now on the early stages of planning for a class that will be ordained in 2016. And each class had in it about 15 people, give or take. So we've really only had our boots on the ground for the last 10 years. But 35 of the 44 deacons who were ordained in this program are still active today. And there ought to be somebody in that picture mm -hmm. who is familiar to you. Who is that? Preston. Yeah. Preston, okay. Yeah. And uh, he was your deacon here, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he did pets and, pets, dogs, and pets and dogs and things like that. Yeah. And do you know what he's doing now? Death ministry. Yeah. He's doing death ministry. He, he himself is hard of hearing and he is working with the Church for the Deaf over in Cahaba Heights. And then these are just various of the other deacons. We were all gathered, I think this was at the consecration or institution of Bishop Sloan. <coughs> in a nutshell, the deacon has the job is to bring the needs of the world to the church. It's the job of the deacon to say, there are a lot of people here in this community who go to bed hungry every night. Or there are a lot of kids who don't have a chance for a safe place to be after school. And they bring that need to the church. And then the church turns around and brings its gifts to the world. This picture, it's not very clear, is actually some things that St. Thomas, my church, did. Um, and in Haiti, we gave um, clothing after the earthquake. 
to Haiti. And so this is um, our bringing the gifts. And you can see he's holding up this little sign that says, Thank you, St. Thomas. Everyone, every one of us is called to be Christ's servant. That's not a call to the deacon or the priest only or the bishop. Every single one. And the word for servanthood in Greek is diakonia. We are the hands and feet of Christ for the world he died to redeem. Um, and the little picture here is a story of, of a statue that's kind of, I think it's in Italy, it's a rather famous statue, but it has no hands. And it's supposed to represent the fact that we are Christ's hands and feet in the world. Besides statues without hands, we also have our baptismal covenant. And this was taken at St. Stephen's Church here uh, in Birmingham after our tornadoes. And when they gathered the water that they were going to give to the community, they put the water around the font to show that it was a sign of their baptismal covenant. So this is the first question. And you say? I will with God's help. Okay. And the second question. I will. With God's help. This happens to be Deacon Lynn Bullard, who is um, in a service with men um, who are homeless at a place called First Stop in Huntsville. And you say? And this is uh, Deacon Clyde Pierce, um, who is uh, the master builder. He's a, he's a contract. He was a contractor by trade, and he does a lot of uh, rebuilding the, at Camp McDowell, and he also goes out and does a lot of rebuilding of lives through Kairos and other mm -hmm. kinds of places. And you say? And this is Deacon Katie Smith, and she was, until recently, the... Uh, chaplain at uh, St. Martin's in the Pines. She's now full-time at St. Stephen's. So, in addition, when we're ordained, each deacon receives <coughs> instructions as part of that service. And I have to tell you, this is at, at Key's institution, and my niece looked at it and she said, you look like a hobbit. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the deacons are the hobbits of the church. I don't know. The church charges deacons to become a connector between the church and the world. We're connecting the needs of our community, what we hear, what we see, what we experience in the world, and what we take from our faith and our faith we take to our church. And these are the charges that we have when we're ordained. You are to make Christ and his redemptive love known by your word and example. And these are three of our deacons. Uh, Clyde Pierce is at the bottom there. Mary Groff is a counselor and she is at that point she's counting pills on a trip to Haiti. And uh, Dave Draclis who is our communications officer. He's I put that there because he's got his uh, video camera. He's the one who does the website, all website updates and, and all of that. He is also a deacon. 
you are, you are to interpret to the church the needs, hopes, and concerns of the world. And so on the left you have uh, Deacon Carolyn Foster, who is in, uh, has started a group called the Young Lions at St. Mark's Episcopal Church, where boys who don't have dads can have mentoring. Um, that's a uh, grocery cart there at, at St. Joseph's in Mentone. Um, of course, the beans and rice ministry you saw earlier, and then this is at St. Timothy's in Athens, which is a multicultural play school. You are to assist in the public worship and the ministration of God's word and sacraments. And so you see very ones of us in different places, um, in Haiti at first stop, uh, in Panama at the bottom, and then at St. Thomas, which is where we go to church, Paul. Your life and teaching are to show Christ's people that in serving the helpless, they are serving Christ himself. And on the left is a peace and justice workshop, which is being uh, conducted by Deacon Steve Shanks, who's out in Trussville, and then again Lynn, caring for the homeless at the first stop in Huntsville as well. So the deacon points the way to Christ's kingdom. This was our last class of deacons on their Habitat project. And I just made a list here. You don't need to go through all of these. But these are various ministries and outreach things that have been done with Deacon input since uh, 2002 when we, when we started. Uh, in, in a multicultural school, a Good Samaritan health clinic, uh, adult literacy, literacy centers, family success centers. Each of these have a deacon who either serves on the board or was one of the instigating factors one of the ones I'll note toward the bottom is Power Socks Ministry, which is mine. I am a knitter, and um, I engage people who like to knit in making socks, which they then sell at a local knit shop, and the money goes to help people pay utility bills. So I'm always recruiting knitters, if anybody's interested. May I tell them what I call them? Yes. My socks and wife. Socks and wife. In this, I think we can see this, this thing from Revelations. I'm making all things new. I mean, the churches, through the leadership and through the um, ability of the of deacon to be a connector, are really making tremendous impacts on the communities in which they live. So here are some things that you might be surprised about. Most deacons never felt called to the priesthood. They do believe that they're called to this order of ministry. And I can remember when I was uh, kind of looking at, at my own call, um, people kept saying, oh, you really got to work with the church. It's like, I didn't want to be a priest. I had no idea. And when Bishop Parsley stood up and said, we're going to have a diaconate, I came home and I said to Paul, I'm going to do it. He said, what is it? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. But, but I said, it is. It, it, it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's what I am called to do. And I, I love my priest. I love Blake and other priests. I love bishops. But I do not want to bury, baptize babies. I don't want to bury people. I don't, want to, you know, I don't want to do any of those administrative things. I really feel called to be the connector between the church and the world. Um, most deacons have successful careers outside the church. This is necessary because deacons do their ministry without pay. The tradition in our church 
is that the deacons are not paid for what they do. And in this diocese, only one in seven deacons is permitted to vote on issues that come to the diocesan convention, mm -hmm. which means that we, we're not on a power trip. We're not mm -hmm. trying to, because the lay people and the priests have more power than we do in that situation. There are some people who think that's a bad idea. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that power is not very um, intoxicating sometimes. So um, we'll see. This may change eventually, but right now, deacons do not have a strong uh, voice in the policies of the church, except through what we do in the parishes. Is this just in Alabama? This is just in Alabama, yeah. It's, in, most, in most other dioceses, deacons are on equal footing with the priests. So, if you're thinking that you may have a call to the diaconate. The first thing I suggest to you is to get to know a deacon, and you know a couple of deacons. You know Preston, you know Judy, Judy Lee. Who else do you know? You know me now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Jacob. Kathy Jacob. So you could talk to them and find out, you know, what, what is their ministry like? Is this something that you'd be interested in doing? The next thing that you need to do is to speak to your rector so that he knows or she knows um, what's necessary. Um, they can ask you, you know, they know you, that they can sort of help you to sort of sharpen your sense of vocation. And then you have to come before the Commission on Ministry. Um, and right now they are reworking their discernment process. So um, they would be very open to have people say, I'm feeling a call, I, I need to define it further. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about the Commission on Ministry and what that is? Okay, the Commission on Ministry um, is a commission that was designed to report to the bishop. Um, it is actually advisory to the bishop, and it's uh, lay people and priests from all over the diocese who get together, and they, they're sort of the clearinghouse, I guess is the best way to describe it, for people who have calls to ministry. Um, and for many years, they had a fairly strict way of doing things. You had to jump through this hoop and that hoop. Right now, they're in a, in a process of rethinking how that's going to happen. Um, and one of the ideas they're tossing around is that anybody who has a call will come through the same process. And then it will be decided at the end whether your call is truly to the priesthood or the diaconate or to a very intensive kind of lay ministry but all of that will be done coming together. Is that what you wanted to know, Christina? Yeah. So, uh, but there's several things that are, that are still in process, um, but, and that makes it better, you know. I said to somebody, when there aren't very many boundaries, it's not hard to color outside the lines, you know. <laughs> you also need to have completed four years of EFM education, and that's uh, still probably going to be regardless of what, Commission on Ministry does. And then you go um, one weekend a month for two years to be formed um, through the diocese. You're ordained by the bishop, and then the bishop actually assigns you <coughs> to the parish that you will be um, at. And those uh, four years of EFM and the two years of formation can overlap. They can overlap, yes. Yeah. You can be, you can have completed, you would have to have completed 
two yeah two years of, of of EFM prior to your time that you actually enter in diaconal formation. We are building Christ's kingdom, and the best is yet to come. So, I'm sure that you all have questions. I have a question. Yeah. Can you explain to us what is an archdeacon? <laughs> Actually, I say to people, tongue-in-cheek, I spend half of my time chasing deacons and the other half of my time chasing bishops. And that's, that's about, um, it's, it's a, um, an intermediate role. Um, I'm the one who makes sure that all the administrative things for deacons, that there are letters of agreement that need to be written, I make sure those get done. Um, I do the continuing education training and I try and keep up with any pastoral needs that, that an individual person would have, because there, there are 39 of us now, and there's always somebody who's got a sick husband or who's going through some kind of crisis or whatever, so um, I'll definitely, you know, be in charge of the kind of pastoral things. Um, but ultimately, it's the bishop who makes the decisions about where a deacon is placed or, um, you know, other kinds of things. What criteria is used to make that decision? About being, about being deacons being placed in parishes? Um, availability is right now is our biggest criteria. We don't have, most every deacon we have, I can think of only one who's not placed. And then it's proximity, because you don't want to place somebody in a parish in, in Montgomery if that person lives in, um, you know, Birmingham. Um, so uh, that's, that's the second criteria. And then the... The special gifts and talents that that person has, um, I mean, like uh, Preston's gifts working with the deaf because he is hard of hearing himself, um, and that makes a difference. So some of those issues come into it. Do some you, of it's just proximity. Do you have deacon, are all your deacons um, occupied, or do you have some that are in an inactive status, or do you? Right now, all of our deacons are occupied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have any, um, but sometimes that can change, you know, it, it just, it, it, it varies, um, and it can change either because the deacon says, I really feel like I've lived out my ministry here, I need, I need a move, or it can change because a parish is just gung-ho for a deacon, and, and uh, I wish we had somebody to place right here right now. I've got two or three churches in this area that I wish I had somebody I could invent and just put in place. <laughs> and Lou, Lou promises me and, and us that we're on her radar in that regard, uh, looking for a deacon and looking for a good fit and a good match mm -hmm. for our community and our personality and who we are with, with their gifts and talents that they would bring. And so we're, we're, we're on the radar. So yeah, you're definitely <laughs> on the radar. Definitely on the radar. Where is Judy Lee? She's at St. Francis of Assisi, which isn't actually too far from here. Um, and she's doing a great job. She's really doing a good job. Can you talk about um, the difference in a lay person that feels called to do ministries like, like we have here that are run by lay people versus a uh, ministry that a deacon feels called to do? Does that make sense? That is, that is such a tough call because most deacons spend time trying to get out of the way, if that makes any sense. Most of us 
were, were called to this because we, we were active lay people. Um, and I think that's the biggest learning that I've had to do as a deacon is to, um, to let, to, to grow the ministries of lay people. Um, there was a wonderful man who, who uh, was applying to be the uh, director of the Alabama Symphony, and he said, he, and he's a wonderful violinist, and they said to him, are you, gonna, are you going to, is it going to be a problem for you to be the conductor of, the, of a symphony and you're a violinist? And he said, no, because a musician, a musician is a magician. A musician takes silence and makes it into sound and makes that sound into meaning. He said, all I have to do is to be sure that all of my musicians are doing what they need to do. I don't need to, I don't need to be the chief violinist. And that's something that um, I think is the hardest learning for a deacon. Um, I, when I heard that analogy, I thought, oh, I know where that place is. You know, that um, it's so easy to jump in and say, oh, I can do that. And it's just so wrong Facilitator. sometimes. Facilitator. Exactly. Question. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say he's from Thibodeau, Louisiana, where my second, first son was born. Oh, there you go. Second child. Yeah, he is, a, he is a Thibodeau from Thibodeau. And I understand you're going to have red beans and rice on Mardi Gras, right? Shrove Tuesday, that's right. Shrove Tuesday, yeah. Sounds good. Is it? Great. Who started that? Did you? What? Red beans and rice? Did you no, start I that didn't here? Start. <laughs> That's probably, not my fault. Probably the Gilberts. I don't like the way the Gilberts. Yeah. The Gilberts. I would. I would just. Something else that, that occurred to me in that scripture reading that we read earlier, uh -huh. and there was some masculine language. They chose men yeah. to be deacons and so forth. Well, there are. Um, Two other letter, two other places in Paul's letters, where he talks about deaconesses, where the feminine is uh -huh. used uh -huh. um, to describe this group or individuals that are a part of this group, and so, um, so there is some scriptural New Testament precedent uh, for, for having ladies in the yeah. of, of deaconesses. But if if anything, I'd like you to take away it's that this. This diaconia, this service in the mission of the gospel, is is not something that is reserved to any particular order. It is what all of us are involved in doing. And so you can be doing diaconia, you can be doing servant leadership, um, regardless of whether you're a bishop or a priest or, or a deacon or a layperson. It's what we're all called to do. And I want to thank you. Oh, I'm just going to ask real quick. Um, the video that we saw about the church in Christ, yeah. is that available online? It's, it's on available on the website. Okay. And you can click into it there. I wasn't sure about my knowledge of Wi-Fi, mm -hmm. so I actually downloaded okay. it. Um, and I can send you a link to download it if you want it actually mm -hmm. on your computer. But that, you can you can link to it on the church is website. Is that the diocesan website where, where one would find where, where you find it? Or that church's website? The diocesan website. It's right on there now. In fact, I went to the diocesan website yesterday and 
was trying to find something else, and I kept download. I kept hitting on to the movie, and it was like, no, I I've seen that already. Thank you. Yeah, it's right in the middle of, on it right now. So, I want to show my wife. She's yeah, isn't that cool? Sunday school today. Isn't that cool? I really think it is. So, well, thank you. Thank you. You've been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that with us. Appreciate you being here, Lou. Mm -hmm. Let's see if I can figure this one out. You're welcome back anytime. Okay. <laughs> I may do that. Come back to Rebecca's Rice. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. Lou has almost, also, also promised to come and, and preach for us sometime. Yes. And so um, um, we'll, we'll be looking at those dates. Okay, good. Good. <laughs> Let me see if I can what I need to do here. I think I just do this.